What do you get when you take a rabid bat, three teas, three coffees, the future king of England, and an angry law student? Is the answer Radio Decidendi on Jack Radio? Theme song. <laughs> I would like... Uh, you're drunk. If I may. And uh, you're crazy. To take you... I'll be sober tomorrow and... On a strange journey. You'll be crazy for the rest of your life, but... Radio Decidendi. I'm fine with you. We can do a language warning and a trigger warning. Why don't we both- I'll do the language warning. Okay. And you need to itemize what people might be triggered by. Okay. This is your best skill, really. All right. Highlighting politically incorrect topics before we start the show. Just, just- So that you can put your foot in it once we do. Just give the language warning, you idiot. Language warning. This podcast will be broadcast in English. Also, from time to time- We may swear. Trigger warning. This show may contain offensive content, including, but not limited to, bad language, sexual references, drug use, adult themes, nudity, high-octane violence, and law. Al, you know I think you're perfect. As you should. But can you back it up to our listeners? Can you really put some substance behind that claim of perfection? Give me one example from your life. One example? Your day-to-day, mundane life. I really only have one example, but let me tell you, it's a pretty good one. And it's quite a recent one as well. In fact, just a few days ago, the beginning of this week, I perfected my daily caffeination regime. Let me me talk you through it, right? Real quick. Basically, we've got three, three cups of tea, three cups of coffee each day, right? Begin the day. 7 a.m. with a short black, right? Good. You'll start with a coffee. You're buzzing by the time you get to work. It takes an hour to kick in. Yep. 8.45, cup of Earl Grey tea. Earl Grey, interesting choice. Right. It's substantial, though. That keeps you going until the mid-morning break at 10.30 when you follow up with a ristretto. Not right. a short black. So there's a cycle going here. You it's see? one on, one off. Yeah, right? You alternate, okay? Keeps it interesting. Keeps it fresh, right? Go for a ristretto. It's 10 out of 10, maximum potency. That ties you over till lunch. You have your lunch then. Now, here's the the interesting bit, right? Peppermint tea. Uh, 1.30-ish. Something you may not know about peppermint tea, Al, is that it actually aids digestion. Really? I did know that. (laughs) (laughs) But you didn't know that. It does. Once you've had your hearty lunch, right, you want something to both help ease the lunch down and help you settle back into, you know, a day's work, the afternoon's work. Because it's a a long slog until... You know, clock off time, right? Right. Right? So, in between that, around 3.15, you're going to want to divvy that up with, you guessed it, another short black. This time, back off with a ristretto, opt for something a little bit lighter. That's what you want, right? Right. Now, this will probably keep you coasting until about, you know, five-ish when it's time to go home. Do you have a thermos? I don't have a thermos, See, no. I feel like if you're, I mean, that means you're up to tea. Tea is the next step in the cycle. It is. So, surely you want something, just a nice mild tea, maybe for your trip home. Maybe. I would consider adding that. But but to my mind, you don't want to be drinking, I mean, you want it to sort of mostly happen in the first bit of the day because you don't want to be buzzing too much at night, right? But again, once once you've got home, had your dinner, it's time for the final round, which is, of course, another cup of tea. Yep. I go for peppermint again. For the same reasons we've articulated. It's good for digestion. It's delicious. And also, you're about to go brush your teeth, right? It just, it all fits. It's like pre-brushing. It is exactly like pre-brushing. 
is exactly like that. See, I've gone the opposite way in the last week. I've completely cut out caffeine. Headaches have been looming pretty large. Pop and Panadol, um, trying to drink tea to keep the coffee demons at bay. It's not great. So I'm a little hesitant to sort of subscribe to your regime of one tea, one coffee, one tea, one coffee. That's a lot of caffeine a day. It is a lot of caffeine a day. But and here's, I think, the important bit. It's not just all kind of holus bolus whenever I feel like it. It is incredibly regimented. It's structured. It's ordered. So I'm not prone to impulse now. I don't just sort of think, when am I going to have a coffee? I'll just go grab one. I know exactly when I'm going to have the coffee. I know exactly when I'm going to have the tea. That's actually a pretty good point. Like You're sort of fending off the addiction by regimenting it because the structure, you can use the structure to overpower Mm. the addictive elements of the caffeine. Al, you may just be an idiot. (laughs) But that is a perfect caffeine regime. (laughs) By enshrining the addiction, you actually help fight it. I think you're onto something. I really do. It's like the 5.30, you know, heroin shoot up, you know, just keeps you going. You're fighting it because you're working with it, not against it. I'm sold. But the point I'm trying to make is that this is something I love, something I need. Oh, sorry, do you want to end there? (laughs) Good gravy, you're listening to Radio Decidendi. Justice never sleeps, and neither do we. This is Radio Decidendi. Well, Al, if you've so much as turned on a television or even a radio or open a newspaper, you would know that the Duke and Duchess are in Australia. They have been for some time. They swung past Brisbane for a brief stint of, I think it was four hours. (laughs) So that was something. How generous of them. The, The people of Brisbane really got quite excited about that. I would say maybe a little too excited for for a four hour visit, but it was nice of them to stop by and they seem to be for the most part, a very, very warm and gentle sort of people. They, they seem nice. They uh, seem friendly. They do. They seem genuine, yeah. I feel, which is saying a lot. Did you see the, who- the photo of Kate uh, clicking her heels together? No. The, the paparazzi's, yeah. The, the paparazzi's actually got, or paparazzo or whatever, got a shot of her and uh, Will's walking through the park and she actually clicked her heels and like sort of jumped up in a leprechaun style fashion. That's pretty impressive. I, I was, I was, it was impressive and also quite endearing. We'll put a link to that picture on the website. Yeah. After we get a website. Hashtag, hashtag Kate's a leprechaun. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway. Sorry. Back on topic. So today I was uh, s- relaxing in front of the television as you do and the royals have made their way to Adelaide. And what should happen in Adelaide but uh, a hip hop demonstration of sorts which is, you know, a bit interesting not something I'm probably that interested in but i sort of sat there in awe as kate and will took turns trying to dj and then listen to this girl rap for like five minutes and it just sort of struck me quite hard is this is this what the monarchy has been reduced to what do you think well i mean what was wrong with that you know people you know that should these people ostensibly have been given a divine right to rule, to reign o'er us. So why, how else is a mere mortal going to approach them with deference and, you know, appropriate meekness and humility? I mean, pretty much anything you do is just 
I'm oh. pretty sure she was rapping Dre. <laughs> I, I don't think she was rapping. I don't know what she was rapping. The, the weird bit about it, probably the weirdest bit about it, was that they had that sort of look that a primary school teacher would have when they're watching students give a presentation in front of a class. It's like, you know, I'm not really enjoying this, but I need to encourage you. <laughs> it's almost motherly. And that's, it was just so weird. Like that just seems like such a, a poor function for Royals to be exercising. Just sort of the old pat on the back or like, I'm very impressed by your DJ skills. But that's what the Royals have to be. They can't actually be proper people. They have to be insulated from actually having opinions or casting judgment. Or Do you have a problem with the Royals, Al? Well, I suppose on an intellectual level, I do. Go on. Well, I don't know, Dan, I'm torn. On the one hand, I'm probably fanatical Republican is probably putting it a little too strongly. I'll go, I'll go with zealous, a zealous Republican. All right. Just on an intellectual level. I mean, but on the other hand, who isn't a sucker for all of this kind of like monarchy with all the trimmings, all the silly, ha- like the, the, the waving, you know, from the, to the crowds and, the, and the, the accepting stupid gifts from people and just, you know, all of that. I love it. What, what do you think about the knighthoods and damehoods? I think they're great. I would love to be a knight. Would you like to be a knight? Uh, yes. What about... Senior council or Queen's council? Oh, Queen's council every time. And every why? time. Why? It just it sounds better. It sounds cooler. It sounds so much it better. It sounds way cooler. And you know, I'm pretty sure there are numbers on this, but numbers are unimportant as are facts on Radio Decidendi. But fact-free zone. I'm pretty sure it's a fact that every single SC immediately changed to QC. Every single one. All of them. Every one. Yeah. Including the four that didn't. They also did. All of them. Every single like one Like I of said, them. fact-free zone. <laughs> Wait, you said that. <laughs> we shoot from the hip. The point is, every single one, Al. A hundred percent, folks. And if that- It's science, statistically. The monarchy is going well. The monarchy is alive and well. It's going strong. Mm. I just don't understand why you would tinker with a system that has made SC so happy. <laughs> Because this is like, sorry, if I may, this is like when your Pokemon evolve, pretty much, okay? Except it was worse because when they took QC away, they sort of like de-evolved a whole bunch of QCs. It's just like going back to Bulbasaur. Nobody wants to go back to Bulbasaur. Anyway. No. But what about like going up to Raichu? I mean- From Bulbasaur? <laughs> no. I believe that's how it works. <laughs> from Charizard to- No, from- you know, everyone, who likes Raichu? Let's get back to your intellectual okay. level, okay? What's your intellectual opposition to the monarchy? It kind of just is the abject silliness of it all. I mean, on kind of the gut level, I think I love all this sort of, you know, 12th century kind of stuff. But for every, you know, baby George or, you know, Prince William, there's going to be a Prince Charles. And I think he's the best. And and a Camilla. And I just think, like, really, you know, God picked you, six billion. <laughs> I, I guess my point probably is this. You know, what's the big failing with the system the way it is? What's going so wrong that we need to change things? I don't really want, I mean, I know you don't have to have a president, but I don't think I would want one if somebody offered for us to have one. 
It's not so much the uh, the problem is with constitutional monarchy. It's the fact that it's somebody else's constitutional monarchy that I can't understand why I'd want that. I'd be happy, quite happy for Australia to have its own royal family. We could elect them, even. But I have a feeling that when you start thinking about that kind of proposal, people realise that really, I guess, legally, maybe, is the term, there's no proper basis for a monarchy. It just kind of has always stuck around and just been there. Think about this. What I like about the monarchy is it's a fail-safe. And I'm going to break. Godwin's Law is happening right now. Oh, God. It's, it's the Hitler Ring fail the bell, safe, right? Jimmy. It's the Hitler fail safe. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Al. The Hitler I'm sorry fail to be safe. the one to say it. But the old Hitler fail safe. What it does, I think, is it diversifies big public figures that people will rally behind. So if you have a really, like, a horrendous government, then there is a public figure that can take the alternative point of view and people can rally behind. I think that's a useful thing to have. But then you've got all of this convention which overbears on them or bears upon them to basically not exercise that power. But if the time ever came that Australians needed to rally around somebody to fight back against some crippling oppressive regime, it could be, Lizzie. It could. Or you could end up with a Sir John Kerr dismissing a democratically elected prime minister. I mean, this is the kind of hidden elitism of the monarchists. Oh, oh, here we go. Mate, you just compared me to Hitler, more or less. I did not. I did not remotely compare you to Hitler. I heard it. You could have picked any dictator and you went for... You could have picked anyone. I said the Hitler failsafe. And you went for Hitler. (laughs) You never go for Hitler. You never even got a popular vote. Maybe you should start. Hi, I'm Dan. And I'm Al. And this isn't not Radio (laughs) Desidendi. (laughs) Alistair, do you know what time it is? Yes. It's... Wait, what time is it? It's case of the week time. With no ongoing obligation to continue having a case of the week segment. (laughs) All rights and liabilities excluded here to fall and here to to the extent permissible by law. But that being said, this week, it is case of this week time. (laughs) What's the case? (laughs) The case of this week, this week, (laughs) is the case of Paul. Is it time for the case of this week already? It just goes so fast this week. <laughs> this week's case of the week is Mr. Paul Durney and Victoria University. Prospective students of administrative law, listen in. You're about to hear one of the rare teachings of Mr. Alistair Harrison. Esquire. Esquire. The case is about a law student, but a law student I feel we can all relate to a little bit. Oh, very much so. Have you ever been in the library and sitting next to in one of those tables and the person across from you just won't shut up? Oh, yeah. It's always the person near the quiet study sign. You know, you're just there. You're just trying to read your book, trying to read your case, whatever. On, on and on they go. Just want a bit of peace and quiet. That's you know, all I want. Just want a bit of peace and quiet. And that's exactly what Paul Durney of the Victorian University wanted, right? Good, upstanding law student. He just wanted a bit of peace and quiet in the law library. And the university were not providing it. So what did he do? He went and spoke to the staff. And what did they do? They just sort of weren't interested, you know, in what he had to say. Shrugged him off. Shrugged him off. Right. So he decided to step up the protests a little bit. 
He began by uh, emailing the staff and telling them of his intention to hold a hunger strike outside the, the law library doors, which he did, until the police and ambulance were called and came and took him away. But you can't keep a good man down, and he returned that very same afternoon to continue the protest. Right. So then what happened next? Like, what, what did they, how did the university respond to Derny? Well, they weren't really a fan of Derny's conduct. Uh, you'll be probably unsurprised to hear. Not surprised at all. And they actually thought he might pose a bit of a risk to the other students or to the staff or, you know, for whatever reason, they, they thought it probably wasn't appropriate that he was conducting these, these protests. So they decided to get in contact with the higher echelons of the university. Now, under the Victorian University rules, the vice-chancellor has the power to exclude from the premises any person who they think on certain grounds ought to be excluded. Let me guess what happens next, Alistair. They excluded him from the campus. They did exclude him, ultimately. So where did they go wrong? What's the administrative law issue here? I'm so glad you asked, Dan. Prior to excluding him, the pro-vice-chancellor, who I believe is like second in command, was the one that was communicating with uh, Mr. Durney, as well as the dean of the Victorian University Law School. And they were sending him some emails saying, look, we know you're unhappy, but we just want you to know you've got to stop protesting, you've got to stop doing all this, or we're going to have to kick you off campus. Right. Right? Forever. Right. We're going to get in contact with the vice-chancellor. Okay. So he's sort of got this, I wouldn't say threat, but that's the kind of vibe of it. It's been put to him that this is going to is potentially going to happen. They tell him about the events that they weren't happy with, and they say you have a chance to tell us your side of the you know your side of the story. And he responds. He responds. He sends back a response, right? But in the meantime, some more events you know take place. He continues the protests, you know, continues irately telling staff about you know the amount of noise in the law library, all of that. And, and here's the kicker, here's where it all comes unravelling. The staff sent more material. How much more? I'm talking 15 attachments. <laughs> that's a lot of attachments. Yes, they emailed those 15 attachments. Wow, that's a lot of attachments. Up to the pro-vice-chancellor, who then passed them on to the vice-chancellor. You mean the decision-maker had information about Mr. Durney? That he never heard. He never had the chance to respond to. He never had the chance to respond to it. Textbook, natural justice. Breached. So, natural justice, as I'm sure our dear listeners will recall, is pretty important to administrative Hold on, hold on, stop. stop. Jimmy doesn't get it. I don't get it. What's the problem with that? He's done something wrong. No, okay. Basically, let's boil it right down. First principles here. I say, you're a, a bad bloke, Right. And then I table all this evidence to support my allegation that you're a bad bloke, but you never see any of the evidence, never even have a chance to respond to it. Don't even know it exists. Is that fair? Uh, if, if it proves that I'm a bad bloke. Oh, no. No, you've been denied natural justice. And here's the important... How can you rebut assertions that you don't even know exist? You might be the worst bloke in the world. You probably I mean, are. You, I think you are. <laughs> yeah. Except but for all the free editing... <laughs> But I've seen, you know, all the evidence, right? We're not talking about substantial justice here. We're talking about procedural. Procedural. We're talking about basic skeletal... Form? Right. Substance. Yeah. We're talking about form. We're talking all about form. We're all about form. Right. So basically, it's just like, you know, 
feels wrong. It feels wrong to get kicked off campus without even having seen yeah. all the stuff that you supposedly did. So, so I'm with Mr. Durney on this. And so was the judge, because the judge made the decision that having not seen the 15 documents that were so relevant to the decision to kick him out, Mr. Durney was entitled to have the decision set aside. It was null, void, and without effect. I think we are in agreement. Radio Decidendi is declaring this a good decision. This is a great decision. This gets the Radio Decidendi patented tick. Long may Mr. Durney agitate the staff at VU. Amen. Well, Alistair, you'll recall that last week we sat in this very room and talked about a personal trial of mine. Do you remember what that was? <sighs> Your near-death experience. Well, it wasn't really... I don't think it was near death. I think at the time, if, if we're being reasonable, I acknowledged that I was being unreasonable. Which you were. Which I was. But you were self-aware, which, you know, mitigates. That's the first step, right? Absolutely. In the thing with the steps. <laughs> anyway, for the sake of our listeners, because... Uh, this isn't, I, I don't think this is an overstatement at all. This segment was so bad and so affected the morale in the room last week that we, we literally took the decision to not air the podcast in its second week. <laughs> it was, it, look, it wasn't ideal. We've collected some highlights for you though, um, and, and feel free to have a listen to those now. It's It's more like a nearing death experience in the sense that it's going on as we speak oh no definitely laugh at oh, my wow. the possibility of my death this is this is no, entertaining please. to me sorry i never thought i would prefer to have urine or feces on my face <laughs> rather than saliva i'm alert to the possibility of death it seems a lot closer than it was that's that's all i'll say this actually did get me thinking about if batman happened in real life what would actually happen and it would be, child loses his parents, child gets trapped with bats, child gets bitten by bats, child gets rescued from well, child lives for eight weeks and then dies. <laughs> <laughs> so, to cut the long and embarrassing and sad story quite short, I was lying on the grass, at the lakes, under a tree. The tree may or may not have had a bat in it. Something hit my face, which may or may not have been from a bat. And even if it was from a bat, only bat saliva actually carries any sort of deadly virus like rabies or lysivirus or all that sort of fun stuff. So if it was urine, I'm fine, whatever. Chances are it was dew. I know this, okay? I'm not irrational. I just have a deep-seated fear of death, apparently. Um, which resulted in my doctor telling me yesterday, or asking me rhetorically, you do realize that one day you will die, right? <laughs> <laughs> so that's, you know, wow. I feel that really sums up the whole oh God. little debacle Man, I'm so sorry for to us. Hear that. <laughs> that's terrible. How long have you got? <laughs> it's hard to say. <laughs> it's an ongoing struggle. That's the story. I became let's say, a little paranoid. Uh, I don't know really what the outtakes will make me seem, how they'll make me seem, but I was a little paranoid about dying last week. Um, 
And you're a little bit vitriolic about my hypersensitivity to dying. I guess I just am a fan of maths. And I just thought that when you, you know, could add up all the vast improbabilities of there actually maybe being a... Was there actually a bat? Oh, I think so. All right. So, we don't even show there was a bat. Right. The vast improbability of there being a bat in a tree in the middle of the day, it leaking fluid... It was at night. Into... Oh, it wasn't as at night. Was it... 9pm. Oh, it was quite no, possibly a bird. Look, the point is, the fact there's a... You don't know it was a bird. You don't know what sort of fluid it was. Right. You didn't actually ingest the fluid. It just sort of touched your lip. Yeah. And even if it was all those things, you don't know if it was a, a virus-stricken beast right? of the sky Absolutely. or whatever. And then after that, I found out that only... You have a one in six chance of catching rabies. So, lysovirus is very similar to rabies. So, five in six chance you won't catch it, even if you are exposed. That's if you're bitten. So anyway, I understand the probabilities are exceptionally small. That's not really why I wanted to bring that up. I've had, you'll be glad to hear, the first of three vaccinations today. <laughs> oh, at, good. At a <laughs> completely unsubsidized, just to feed my own sense of assurance in my own longevity. But I guess the point I wanted to talk about was this, that the angle last week was to talk about things outside of law and the importance of having things in your life that go beyond law. All right? Now... With the benefit of hindsight, I want to revise that. It is important to have things outside of law, but what this segment is now really about is how sad I was at myself that when I was being irrational and thought I was going to die, that I completely failed to reprioritize my life. Okay? And instead, I studied for a tax exam. <laughs> that, I think, is the ultimate failure as a human being. And I sort of throw myself upon the listeners of Radio Decidendi, to judge me as much as they want. This is for you. This is so that you can be a better person than I am right now. See, what would you, if you thought you were going to die, what would you do? I, I feel like the good hypothetical answer is I'm going to go out and do the things that I really love doing. So I should have, by rights, booked a plane ticket, dropped all of my courses, probably tried some recreational drugs for the first time. You know, that's, if you think you've got six to eight weeks left on the clock, you meant to spend them well. Instead, I have a shoddy understanding of how allowable deductions work. I stress shoddy. I'm sure it's a fine understanding of... Sh what is it? Allowable deductions you've got. Yeah. But the point is, Dan, where do you draw the line then? If you've got six to eight weeks left to live, how, where do you stop anywhere before indulging your most base instincts? snorting every substance you can and shagging everything that moves or, you know, just going out and murdering people. I would just go out and kill people I didn't like. <laughs> Are they going to jail me for eight weeks? <laughs> I would become a serial killer. See, the, Take I think them all out with me. The, the high chance that I will survive uh, probably weighs against me going on some sort of murderous rampage. But, I mean, if you know it's coming. If you had, like, a, a giant tumour or something, I suppose. Yeah. I don't know. Some sort of time bomb in your head. Like, uh, that's... Anyway. This is the thing. We all know that death is coming eventually. And right? yet, we fill our lives with garbage. I mean, a lot of the time we do fun stuff. That's, I yeah. like to think I associate with people whose company I enjoy. That's, that's important to me. But at the same time, like, I, I really genuinely believe that I could have been a few weeks away from death and... I'd, I'd let myself down. See, what if you were, you know, actually doing the right thing? You were living by principle. 
my understanding of life is that there, you have to simultaneously live as though you're about, you know, live as though you have a minute left and also live as though you're going to live forever. You have to strike a balance as best you can at all times between immediate, you know, sumptuous gratification in the present moment and at the same time undertaking long-term tasks work i suppose and living your life in a kind of principled moving towards very the loftiest goals you possibly can being the best person you possibly can i think the take home for everybody has got to be that it's in our nature i think the kinds of people who are attracted to law have it inbuilt in them to be very dedicated to law you need to have things outside of law that are important to you and things that you are willing to put law on hold for and i have been alarmed by my inability to do that, my inability to put law on hold, to go and do other things, even when I, you know, irrationally was thinking that I may not have a huge amount of time left to do those things. That's got to be the reflective exercise that we all conduct because it's not conducive to our own good mental health, I don't think, to be so wired all the time that we can't, you know, really think about what makes us happy. Ooh. Do you think that's the mark of a good lawyer? Probably not. I don't... I suspect there are many good lawyers who aren't happy. I think if we can learn anything from this, it's that law transcends death. <laughs> That's definitely the message, Al. You got it. Oh, no, you got this, mate. Well, I think that wraps things up for another week of Radio Desidendi, recorded here in the wonderful studios at Jack Radio, the University of Queensland's beautiful St. Lucia campus. As always, I've been Dan. And I've been Al. And... A special thanks this week to our lovely spirit in the sky, James Jessup. He really is a person. Anyway, we'll see you next week. Until then, stay legal, but fun. <laughs> that was bad. It was <laughs> no, so that was cool. <laughs> so bad. Oh, no, no. I don't want to be known for being the guy who was so bad. Stay beautiful.